Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Julie, what do you think when you hear novelty junkie? Like, what does that entail for you? What's the, the vision? Um, I think about the dude who who came up with, like, this squirrel-jumping wingsuit and jumps regularly off cliffs. Well, see, now that's that's pretty cool. Like, that's somebody that's, like, into novelty and they're out there doing it, right? Yeah. They're getting it done. Like, the vision of novelty junkie that comes to me is actually, um, there's a... Portlandia sketch the other day about where the the uh, the wife is going to some sort of meeting in the evening and so she has to get a, a babysitter for the husband so that he doesn't <laughs> sit around uh, and watch random YouTube videos all night drink beer and then fall asleep in his clothes with all the lights in the house on because that's I mean the, the like things like YouTube things like Wikipedia they are, allow yeah. one to really flex the novelty seeking muscle in the brain to where it's like you know random duck driving a car watching it. Vomiting competition, watching, yeah. I don't know, we just did a competitive eating related podcast, so I got vomiting on the brain. But, yeah, you know, it's like one of, both of these are examples of you can just go from one subject to another, from one diverse uh, tidbit or random weirdness to another without ever really absorbing much of anything. Yeah, it's you sort of just, like an ADD state, right? Yeah, yeah. But, and yeah, I guess that is the downside of it, right? Because in a culture that we have right now, you know, um, we apparently consume about 100,000 words each day from various media, uh, which, according to Winifred Gallagher, a novel, uh, journalist, says that is a whopping 350% increase measured in bytes over what we handled back in 1980. Yeah, because, I mean, thinking back, like even thinking back to when I, was a, like, when I was a kid, like if you wanted to learn new stuff, like you're just sort of picking up new information or fulfilling that novelty portion of your brain, like mm-hmm. you, you had to go to a library and you look around or you had to look through your dad's, your, your mom's books and, you know, old books and or an encyclopedia. Like the encyclopedia itself was always a great novelty-seeking tool. Yeah. But the Internet really opens it up. You're just a, key, a few keystrokes away from just an abyss of Sometimes useless, often useless information. Yeah, and the, I mean that's the thing about neophilia uh, or, or seeking novelty. Really, is that it, it spurs us to try to explore and find new things, which is really cool. But it can also feed into our restless, restlessness, our distraction. And by the way, did you know that the word boring didn't even enter um, the dictionary? I think until like the 1900s. Huh. Like it's that's kind of fascinating. You mean so it was like a 20th century luxury being able to, to yeah. be bored with anything? Right, right. Because yeah. you know otherwise. There's, well, there's work to do. There's stuff to right. do. Like, what are you doing? How can you possibly be bored? Right. But once you start automating things, all of a sudden you've got extra time on your hands, right? Mm-hmm. Or once you know you switch from being an agrarian society to an industrialized society, mm-hmm. then you know, you're not in the fields for 12 hours a day. Right. Um, and then, of course, I think that we're seeing the extreme example of this right now in our day and age. Um, and that's what we're talking about today is just kind of getting behind this idea of what is the science behind novelty? Why do we seek out new experiences? How many of us are neophobes, neophiles, neophiliacs, mm-hmm. you crazy maniac, novelty runner afters? Uh, and that's what we're going to talk about and try to explore. So, yeah, let me get back to uh, this Winifred Gallagher character. Uh, besides being a journalist, she also has written a couple of books. And she argues that neophilia, this this desire for new experiences, has always been the quintessential human survival skill, uh, whether adapting to climate change or, um, you know, some sort of new geographical area or coping with the latest digital toy. Yeah, it's like you're marching over a hill. Suddenly there's a, a slightly different uh, environment going on. And you're like, let's do this. Let's see what's edible. Let's see what's poisonous. 
Let's see what animals I can domesticate, which yeah. ones I, I need to kill with a rock. Let's do it. I'm all up for new experiences. When other people might peek over that hill and they're like, I don't know about this new environment. I'm just going to creep back here and eat more of those grasshoppers. Right. You might be a neophobe and you might have a, a different genetic disposition to mm-hmm. explore new things. And in fact, in the article, What's New? Exuberance for Novelty Has Benefits by John Tierney on the New York Times. Uh, they actually talk about this migration gene. Yeah. So this is uh, the migration gene. This is a DNA mutation that occurred roughly 50,000 years ago, uh, it's believed, as uh, humans were leaving Africa. And these mutations are actually the most prevalent in the in the most far-flung population. So talking like Indian tribes in South America that are descended from neophiliacs who crossed the Bering Strait. So mm-hmm. the, understandably, you see the strongest occurrence of these genes in the people who traveled the farthest. Right, right. And the coolest thing about this is that the genetic variations affect the brain's regulation of dopamine. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we've been it talking about dopamine, dopamine a lot. Dopamine yeah, yeah. Again. The neurotransmitter that gives us that kind of high, that, you know, the, that, the ding ding reward, right? Yeah. And so the variations, these variations have been linked to more, um, well, I should say faster reaction times mm-hmm. in individuals that possess them. Attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Right, which we've seen a lot, or it seems like that's been in the news a lot in the last decade or so, and a higher penchant for novelty seeking and risk taking. Hmm. So it's like fascinating that so much of this ties back to our DNA and our migratory patterns. That you know you could come into this world and be a bit hardwired for these experiences. Maybe you're neophobe and you know you're not comfortable with new experiences, and you want to you know retract a little and bit. And you can imagine. Individuals in that situation being more inclined to stick around in their existing area mm-hmm. and sort of fine tune their exploitation of that environment. Sort of like, well, let's, I'm, I'm really not into going over that hill and right. checking out what's going over there. I'm going to figure out how to farm better here or how to better manage the uh, animals I need to catch to survive, that kind of thing. Exactly. Um, and, you know, maybe these are the agrarians mm-hmm. um, of, of history. Uh, and, of course, it's not as simple as it just sort of dials down to you having a you know variant in this gene. There are other factors right. at play, environmental. Um, in fact, um, they were talking about in this article uh, from the New York Times about novelty uh, perhaps even um, being the key to happiness. And a lot of that, again, has to do with what sort of environmental factors are present, not just what genes you possess. Right. I only know that's one of the whole reasons for, like, most people or a lot of people. I mean, there's sort of different versions of people going on vacation. Some people like to go back to a familiar spot that they have this investment in. That's a a place they go every year and it's full of memories. Uh, Other people, they like something new. They want to be blown away by a new environment, uh, new sights, new sounds. I feel like uh, my wife and I are definitely more in that category. I mean, there are places we have memories attached to as well, but there's mm-hmm. nothing like going to like a, a new city, a new place, and exploring it. And I mean, it really your perception of time changes in those environments, like because everything is novel, everything is new. It's like you're a kid again, because when you're a kid, everything is new, yeah. everything is novel, and uh, you know, and time slows down and everything's bright. Well, and you think differently about your world. I mean, it, for, to me, travel and and having new experiences forever changes you as a person. Right. Yeah. Right, and that's what I love about it. In fact, I took the uh, the, the little uh, quiz that New York Times article has. Again, it's called What's New? Exuberance for Novelty Has Benefits. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that I am a neophiliac. Huh. You know, I started taking the same quiz, but then uh, someone sent me this YouTube video, this gopher riding on a three-wheeler, <laughs> and it was amazing. All right, well, let's talk about that. Let's okay. talk about this this uh, idea that neophiliacs or people who are neophiles, or, you know, a little bit to a lesser degree, but still seeking out new experiences 
are their brains are bifurcated with all this different data and harness it in a way that you can actually um, make something of this. Yeah, it's estimated that you you really need a trio of traits to really to 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 be the guy in the squirrel suit uh, skydiving <laughs> as yeah. opposed to the guy who's uh, falling asleep watching a bunch of different YouTube videos. The individuals uh, in, in this particular study they, they scored high in novelty seeking as well as in persistence and self and self transcendence. So persistence, of course, is the is sticking to it. Some some people are maybe disinclined to take up new hobbies because you try it and you suck at it. Like that's pretty much how a lot of things go. It's rare that that we find some new skill or some new you know artistic endeavor that we the first time we try it we got it. Mm-hmm. I mean, a it's not very rewarding if there's no room for growth, right? right. Part of the reward is seeing your improvement, but you got to have some persistence to stick with it. You got to be willing to suck at something for a certain amount of time before you are good at it and before it's maybe ultimately more rewarding. Persistent, like in our our two opening examples, the guy with the the squirrel suit, mm-hmm. that dude had a vision, but he had to have a certain amount of persistence to see it through. Like, he couldn't just be like, what am I doing this weekend? I'm making a squirrel suit, and I'm going to jump off of a, a mountain. And I'm going to do that successfully yeah. on my first try. Yeah, it's not that's not going to happen. Whereas the uh, the individual watching the YouTube videos, he might, say, watch uh, a video of um, like Australian rules football and be like, whoa, that's weird. I didn't know there was Australian rules football, and that's the end of it. Where if he had more persistence, he might be like, well, I'm going to really look into this. I'm going to maybe you know get into watching Australian rules football. Maybe I'm going to uh, start a league. You know, there would be this, this higher level of engagement with the uh, the topic. Yeah, and there would be this other thing called self-transcendence, yes. and we'll talk about that right after this break. All right, we're back. We're ready to self-transcend. I'm doing I'm levitating right now. Okay. Oh, wait, that's not the same thing, is it? Uh, yeah, okay, so self-transcendence. We, we know about this uh, in terms of, let's say, that the flow state. This is something that... Um, you're doing that you're really invested in, but you're also getting a lot of reward out. And you, that's, again, what helps with the pursual and the persistence right. is that you're achieving this state of flow, this self-transcendence. Yeah, like it's, it's, it's not like oh, I'm going to work on painting these miniatures and I'm going to get really good at it. I'm going to get really good. You know, you're not thinking like that. You get, you're losing yourself in the process of doing it. Like, the, and again, the guy making the squirrel suit, he is into the process of doing it to the point where he's not thinking about this is a results-oriented venture. Right, yeah. right. So, I mean, it's the short-term payoff with the long-term, right? Right. And I was even thinking about this uh, novelty and genius, because we talked about this before. In fact, when we were covering, I believe it was the podcast on Einstein's brain. Right. What and, makes the brain of a genius? It's not just yeah. a, a purely anatomical exercise, because you can have a, a genius-level brain, but it's only being used to watch YouTube videos. Right, but then and we talked about this too. This this uh, this idea that the brain is not a static thing. There's something called neuroplasticity, mm-hmm. which means that your brain can change throughout your lifetime. And one of the the key ingredients in changing your brain for the better, at least, is having new experiences. And when we talked about um, genius in the podcast about Einstein, we talked about how some people actually are more genetically predisposed to be open to new experiences, and that certainly helps. But anytime you have a new experience. Um, you know, even like if you're right-handed and you brush your teeth with your left hand or you juggle and you're not a juggler, you're creating new white cells, these glial cells. 
And you want to you want to throw in a juggling no, joke? I can no, no, see I, it. No, I'm just thinking about like like should we all do that? Should we all go home this evening? Or you know, or the, the next scheduled brushing in our day, we should use an opposite hand just to stir yeah. our brains up a little. Yeah, um, because this is the glial cells, these white cells, which are created from new experiences. Hmm. These are the things that help strengthen our brain, that help us think faster, connect more ideas, new ideas. Um, and again, neuroplasticity. We can continue to change our brain as we age. Um, does it help if we have more experiences before the age of 20? Yeah, yeah, because the bulk of your brain is going to be established by age 20. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's great for kids to have as many new experiences and new skills as possible. But that doesn't mean that we're stuck with the same clump of three pounds, you know, for the rest of our yeah. lives. It's, it's certainly what, yeah, why like going to museums is important when you're when you're growing up. Traveling uh, to whatever extent is uh, is manageable. You yeah, know, it just helps change who you are. Like I think I look back on, like you say, I feel like any travel, uh, any worthwhile trip changes who you are. You don't just go to somewhere like uh, like a Thailand or a Costa Rica or whatever. You don't you don't just go to and come back. You you go to and you come back with a little of it. In you, you know? Yeah, yeah, because... And I'm not just talking about um, lower intestinal infections. Yeah, I was going to um, say, or the Thai Red Bull yeah, that you speak so fondly of. Yeah, oh, that was good. But, um, <laughs> and it, like, I, I look back on trips that I took before the age of 20, and I feel like they definitely had an influence on decisions I made later and how mm-hmm. I viewed the world following. Yeah, and again, in, in a very basic level, those are those white, uh, you know, brain cells being created. And it's just lovely to think that all these things are happening behind the scenes. Hmm. And all you have to do is brush your teeth with a non-dominant hand. And when you master that, move to your feet. (laughs) (laughs) Brushing with your feet, yeah? Sure, why not? So it it kind of boils, neophilia, it boils down like a lot of things uh, in human nature. You kind of want a moderation of it. Like too much neophilia, you end up just being this YouTube junkie who uh, maybe doesn't even leave the house because he's not willing to actually... Or she is not willing to actually invest in this novelty seeking. They're not. They're not actually getting any kind of transcendent experience out of it. Mm-hmm. And then you have the other individual who is not leaving the room because they don't want the new experiences. Right. They, they're, right. They're afraid of encountering them. To a large extent. Yeah. Neophiliacs um, in the past have been tagged as as um, as being a bit flighty or impulsive or irritable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then neophobes, again, not wanting to leave the house, um, which is the extreme, extreme, extreme example. But again, all of this is changeable, and it depends on the, the experiences that you have throughout life. A good example is Eleanor Roosevelt. I mean, she was certainly a neophobe in her early life, but mm-hmm. through her experiences sort of switched over to neophilia. Um, so it's not, again, it's just like the brain. It's it's not a static thing. Um, just like your personality is is not static and very much informed by your brain. And I was even thinking about the podcast that we did about how to change your brain the hard way. John oh, yeah, Gage, yeah. who had um, you know a steel rod go through his head and was com- his personality was completely changed. And of course, we don't need to all put steel rods in our head to, to significantly change our worldviews or our personality. But it is interesting to think about all the little different ways in life that we can change the way we think. All right. So um, on that note, let's see what the neophiles out there in the listening audience had to say. Uh, let's call over the robot. All right. Here's a, here's a little email from a listener by the name of Don. Don writes in and says, Dear Robert and Julie, thank you for the great podcast. My inner geek is very happy. I just listened to your monogamy shamogamy podcast, and I have to say, I can never resist a George Michael reference. However, 
As the queen of pop culture references, I must insist that it was the I Want Your Sex video that featured George Michael sprawling the world monogamy on his lover's back in red lipstick, of course. Thanks for being a part of what is now a fun commute. Done. So, yeah, I think we we were thinking it was... Uh, is it freedom, freedom. That you said? But that totally makes sense that it was... I want your sex. We have to give George Michael a little apology there for tonal consistency, because it turns out I want your sex. Well, no, I don't know. Maybe there is still a weirdness there. But at any rate, it makes a little more sense. With I don't know. We, we clearly need to go back on our George Michael catalog and, yes. and uh, revisit. All right, here's another one. This one is from uh, Sean in Ottawa, Canada. Hi, long-time listener, first-time writer, persistent procrastinator. I did have one comment on your Gay Animals podcast. You repeated the danger of anthropomorphizing animals, which I feel does us a greater disservice in the end, which is failing to biomorphize humans. Uh, The very fact that research into animal sexuality can help shed light on human sexuality points to the fact that, try as we might to think ourselves separate from the rest of nature, we uh, most certainly are not. There uh, may be qualities and motivations that guide human behavior that simply don't exist or correlate outside of our culture, but not when it comes to the birds and the bees. We are all animals in the end. Some are more complex, some more social, some more adaptable. Anthropomorphize away, and in doing so, keep biomorphizing us. Huh. I thought that was really interesting. We, uh, I, I apologize, I don't remember the person who uh, put on our Facebook page a comment about the same episode, but he was sort of uh, talking the taking the opposite tact, which would be that uh, we are not, we can't equate ourselves with animals because then we're, you know, condoning incest or rape or other things. Um, so I don't, this is all a really interesting conversation that, that came from this, um, both sides of the perspective. I always like to get different, uh, when we get emails about different sides of it, cause it makes me feel like everybody is really <laughs> sort of coming in on the conversation and considering yeah. all parts of it. Stimulating the brain tanks for sure. Um, we also heard from a listener by the name of uh, Tia. Tia writes in and says, Dear Robert and Julie, I sent this email last week only to listen uh, to one of the more recent podcasts this morning and discovering that your email has changed. And again, we should uh, we'll, we'll mention this at the end of the podcast too, but we are now below the mind at discovery.com. Right. Um, anyway, she continues, I just finished listening to The Santa Claus Machine and wanted to let you know about something in graphic uh, uh, novel land that is very on topic with the Universal Creator Machine. In Trans Metropolitan by Warren Ellis. There are makers which create whatever you want, uh, you need in your home, mostly food, but some of them have been uh, modded to create weapons. A humorous part of the plot involves the makers getting hooked on drugs because they can synthesize anything. Why not make intoxicants for themselves? That has since been stopped by some modifications by the producers of the maker. Additionally, uh, since everyone has them, there is a sort of hierarchy of inputs. The official maker food, the source of the output, is base block, something that is super dense and has to be replaced every so often. However, the poor who cannot afford uh, these, uh, these blocks collect garbage from the streets and feed the makers. Anything goes. If you have a chance, check Transmetropolitan out. It's pretty excellent about a rogue journalist in a very technological future. Indeed, I've... Uh, I haven't read the entire series, but I did read the first, not edition, like the first volume of Transmetropolitan. Mm. It's pretty gonzo. It's this uh, character, Spider Jerusalem, who's kind of this like futuristic, 
like he starts off kind of like this bearded Alan Moore character who's held up in this cabin, but then he ends up returning to the city to do his uh, gonzo journalism, and then of course he's kind of a, a futuristic Hunter S. Thompson character, and uh, all sorts of wackiness occurs after that. Uh, I really need to pick him up again because I did enjoy the first one. I just never got around to reading any of the others. Everything I'm hearing, I'm liking. Well, cool. Um, so yeah, those are some emails from listeners. Uh, we uh, we have a whole folder of them here. We never uh, used to. There was a time when when we could individually like answer every uh, email that was sent to us, and uh, then that, that hasn't really been the case recently. And and we we do receive a lot of really cool emails that I I wish we had time to read, but we kind of have to pick and choose at the last minute. Sometimes based on length. But. That being said. Please do communicate with us. Let yeah. us know your ideas. Because even we if we it. don't respond, I, uh, we do read them all. Well, and it also informs you know the direction of the podcast yeah, yeah. and uh, what we want to cover and all that good stuff. Yeah, because we'll say things like, oh, man, that, that podcast on such and such. That was a, we received a lot of comments on that. That's clearly the kind of thing that listeners want to listen to. So let's find something uh, you know in that vein. Because it's for you, this. Yeah, yeah. Whereas stuff like Stapler Science, we know no, like you know, we have a general idea. Nobody wants to listen to a Stapler podcast, so probably not going to do it unless you say differently. Unless it's like the coolest, like futuristic stapler that could staple me to the wall without harming me right now, and oh, then I yeah. could staple myself, unstaple myself. I don't know why I'd want to do that, but yeah, yeah. That's just an idea. All right. So yes, you can get in <laughs> touch with us. Uh, you certainly can. There's a little thing called Facebook kind of taken off and you can find us on there as uh, stuff to blow your mind just search for us follow us give us more power that way and then there's uh, another little thing called twitter and on there you will find our handle as blow the mind so just throw us a message at blow the mind follow us on there we'll throw you links to stuff about upcoming uh current and past podcasts as well as blog entries and who knows and if you prefer, you can always get your rotary phone out and you can email us at blowthemind at discovery.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to Fork staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow.